I am Pandarius, a scholar of Thera. My name is Thorin. I hit people. A tablet I translated could hold the key to stopping a demonic apocalypse at sundown. Oh, this is gonna be fun. Many will try to stop me from unlocking its secrets. <laughs> oh, they'll try. This would be my first adventure with Soren. Let's go! As the Avatar of Green Eyes! Welcome to a Scholar's Journey. As magicians grow older, magic builds up in their bones and ultimately transfers to their lineage in surprising ways. Their offspring are often gifted with subtle abilities. These manifest in a variety of ways. However, the most common are an affinity for the magic arts or the ability to sense emotions over great distances from powerful otherworldly forces. In rare cases, they can sense the connections between Kirins and their masters. This requires a child to have a heritage of potent magical might. Do not envy these children. They will forever be magnets for forces beyond their ken. Near the glen where Kestrel's new host had been found, sunlight streamed through the trees and caused dew to sparkle in the morning rays. Birds began chirping as the light graced their feathers, and a vibrant rainbow dipped from the sky to the forest in a tribute to the rising twin sons of Thera, the big yellow one called Sol, and the smaller red one, Sul. A falcon perched in its nest, preening its brown and white speckled feathers as it prepared for the hunt. It looked to the sky as the two suns crested the horizon. The bird of prey flapped its wings experimentally, keened into the crisp morning air, and took off toward the clouds. It flew higher and higher, till it could see the entire land. A rolling forest stretched into the distance. Not far away loomed a tall, majestic white stone mountain, with a large city at its base, which was within the falcon's hunting territory. The city was enclosed on all sides by an unusually perfect circular wall constructed of smooth white stone. The structure contained three concentric grooves in the ground. This pattern of roads was repeated with three smaller circles that connected to one another at the center of the city, where a large tower rose up like a monolithic tribute to a lost civilization. Unlike the circular roads, walls, and tower, the city's other buildings were a motley and compact assortment of houses and shops made of various materials. 
Near the western section of the city was a large wound in the ground. It was as if a titanic force had ripped the soil open from beneath and revealed a seemingly bottomless chasm below. The sharp-eyed falcon focused its attention on a small mouse that was perched next to a potted plant on a windowsill and greedily gobbling a little piece of cheese. The hungry raptor dived through the clouds, rocketing toward its prey, extending its wings and thrusting out its claws to grasp the mouse. The little rodent died instantly, and the falcon began to tear into its meal and pull it asunder. The serene realm of dreams was disturbed. The dreamer tossed in his sleep, as the veil was lifted and the portents were revealed in full, something was coming. A righteous presence opened a wall and gave birth to an evil that raked across the unconscious mind like a rusty blade. It was a thing of grasping blue claws and malicious intent. Headed straight for Dayil, the white stone city. It was getting closer and closer. The blue clawed shadow swooped down on an unsuspecting creature and shattered its mind, and then disappeared from view. As he stared, the creature whose body had been taken over swept its gaze in his general direction and its eyes blasted his world with azure energy. Another being emerged. It was a human form of white mist with piercing green eyes like faceted moldavite. This was a thing of mystery and veiled intent. It followed closely behind its dangerous brother. The dreamer became acutely aware that he had been spotted. The green-eyed being turned and rushed toward him. It seemed to envelop his entire world as it reached out. The dreamer looked for an escape, and it seemed as if all was lost when suddenly... Pendarius's eyes snapped open in surprise at a high-pitched piercing sound, followed by a loud thud on his windowsill. As his eyes adjusted to the morning light, he blinked and focused on the bird just outside his window. Good morning to you too. <sighs> the falcon looked over and blinked at Pandarius. Well, <clears throat> that is breakfast, right? The bird glanced down at its meal and then took off into the sky, leaving Pandarius still feeling thoroughly startled and with the beginnings of a headache. Pandarius wiped tears of sleep from his eyes, yawned, then looked around and snuffled away his drowsiness. He sat up, threw the covers to the floor, swung his legs off the bed, stretched and stood up. The rich oak-paneled floors let out a homely creak. The sun's soul and soul shone through the window, and Pandarius scowled at the light. Oh, my head. 
The room was modest. There was a bed under the window across from the door, a desk against one wall, and a dresser against the remaining wall. A razor rested next to a bowl of water and some soap for shaving, as well as a bristle hair brush. The oak dresser was topped with a mirror large enough for Pindarius to see the upper half of his body. He turned his head from side to side and examined the stubble that had grown overnight. His rather square jaw was coupled with a slightly rakish tilt to his smile, and laugh lines were engraved in his face, along with an essential tranquility and the spark of intellect. He was a bit taller than most young fellows and of average build. His skin was pale from working indoors, but the highlight of his appearance were the serious inquisitive hazel eyes that seemed to hold the insights of one well past his years. Pandarius dipped the soap into the water basin on the dresser and rubbed some lather into his other hand. He applied it liberally to his face, rinsed off his hands, and proceeded to shave. Without warning, the door flew open. Rise and shine, Ben, my boy! An older man was in the doorway. He was short and stout with broad shoulders and his skin was tanned. Laugh lines were imprinted on his face in deep creases like craggy hills, and he looked as though he was just two beers short of an even broader smile. Around his waist was a bartender's apron, covering a plain white shirt and long brown breeches. Douglas, I almost slit my own throat. Aye, and it might have helped remove if you'd carved a smile into your mug. Are ye all right, lad? Ye look like ye've been touched by the other side. Ah, <laughs> uh, I had an avian visitor earlier this morning that decided to hunt for mice in my potted plants. Aye, they be partnering with roses nowadays. They can be mighty feisty creatures, me boy. Never underestimate them, sneaky buggers, ever lying in soil. Mark my words, boy, thems is the harbingers of doom. Douglas, I almost slit my own throat. Just came in to talk with my friend, Pindarius Adamus. Douglas stopped, as if he were trying to remember something. Grayson, we agreed not to use my surname, remember? And ye thinks this'n be better? But your pa made sure ye were well taken care of. That means something, don't it? <sighs> he and I have a relationship that works better at distance. Aye, I get your meaning. Before I go, what ye've got planned for the day? You know the area called the Scar, right? Pandarius began pulling clothes out of the dresser. Creepy place, that. Always gives me the chills. Like something been breathing under there. Well, there is a team investigating it, and I have been trying to get on it for months. They finally got back to me and wanted a tracing of a tablet deciphered. I did it. I sent it in. Apparently, my first translation was good enough that they sent me another. That's what you've been working on, lad. I've been wondering where you'd gone. My training in 
and obscure ancient languages paid off. No one on their current team could translate the tablet, but I could, but I could. Pandarius's desk was a disorganized mess spread over three tiers and into four drawers that were so full they could not close. What with scattered parchments, notes, and other oddities from past and present projects. He handed Douglas a sheet. What is it, Boyle? Can make no sense of it. Looks like a bunch of gibberish to me, lad. Douglas skimmed the current work from the tracing. The scholar pointed to various markings. It appears that tablets like the one this tracing was taken from were made to store the knowledge of an entire lost civilization, but they left enough reference material behind for investigators like me to decipher some of the contents. Pandarius circled parts of the tracing with his finger as he explained. These markings here are landmarks in what I think was also Dayil thousands of years ago. For example, here is a place we've dubbed the Living Tower, which their people called the Silver Tree long ago. Long ago, it held a great amount of ritualistic significance. From what I've deciphered, this tablet was carved to lay out a complex ritual steeped in dark magic to open a door. That'd be some pretty weighty stuff, lad. Why did you think about it all? Yeah. You're telling me. Whatever door requires that much to open should probably remain shut. Don't you think? And the importance of this tablet cannot be understated either. If anyone started taking the steps to complete that ritual, who knows? But I do not want to find out. Well played, lad! I can tell today's gonna be a good day for you. Have some fun with it. Speaking of fun... Douglas leaned in secretively and leered at the scholar suggestively. Are ye gonna find yourself a lady friend? Yeah? Yeah? Have a little fun. Get out. <laughs> uh, I have to go meet Ed and Gail. Gail? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Pandarius pushed him toward the door. Douglas stomped out. The young scholar laughed to himself as he closed the door. He finished dressing buttoning a brown jerkin over simple earth-colored pants, then grabbed his satchel from a nearby stool, and wrapped his notes and the tracing in linen before stuffing them carefully into his bag. Pandarius had almost reached the stairs when he heard crashing coming from an adjacent room. He looked left and right and then opened the adjoining door. Inside, a man was lying on the floor, apparently unconscious or asleep, but struggling against some unseen horror and crying out in pain. The room was set up like Pandarius's with a dresser on one side, a bed across from the door, and a desk against the other wall. Although, curtains were drawn over the windows, 
Some illumination filtered in through the gloom. Dust hung in the air and particles sparked in the streaming light. The man on the paneled oak floor was convulsing. Hey, 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 come on, wake up. Rolling back and forth in agony as he seemed to fight monsters in a shadowy realm of dreams. The stranger's fight against his nightmare reminded the scholar of his own experience not long before. Pandaria sprang forward and straddled the man to grab his shoulders. It was not easy for Pandarius to hold the dreamer still. He was far stronger than a normal man despite his slender build. The scholar could only ride it out as he tried to keep the apparent horrors of the man's fantasy from resulting in permanent damage to the room, or worse, to the dreamer. What is the true purpose of that tablet? Who is the stranger tormented by horrible dreams and why were there assassins outside that stranger's door? The journey continues in the next episode of A Scholar's Journey, Bad Religion.